to. I'm going back to Genesis chapter 50 with you this evening. Genesis chapter 50, we're going to read uh, verses 22 through 26. Please turn, if you will, Genesis chapter 50. We'll look down to verse 22. This is the end of the life of Joseph. Let us read the entire paragraph before us, beginning in verse 22, chapter 50. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of the, this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And so to summarize this paragraph, we began with it this morning, but to summarize it this evening, we see Joseph, first of all, standing the test of time. And we expanded on that a little bit this morning. But secondly in this paragraph, okay, we see Joseph facing the hand of death. And then thirdly, we see Joseph leaving a spiritual legacy. And that is the summary of this paragraph. Standing the test of time, facing the hand of death, and then leaving a spiritual legacy. This morning we focused on the first part, mainly, and that is standing the test of time. But we expanded a little bit, as you recall. <clears throat> we saw that he... He stood the test of trials. He stood the test of temptation. He stood the test of, of trust. Am I going to trust the Lord? And he did indeed stand the test of time. And so let's notice the other two parts to this paragraph this evening. First of all, that Joseph faced the hand of death. And then secondly, he leaves a spiritual legacy. Okay. So notice as he faces the hand of death that we learn again about the fact of death. We learn about the fact of death. Notice Genesis 50 here in verse 26. So Joseph died. Joseph died being 110 years old. The same Joseph we mentioned this morning the same Joseph who for 13 chapters had no sin that we could find out. He had no sin. Okay. More time is, and, and space is devoted to this particular uh, man of Genesis than any of the other faithful men of, of the Old Testament. This Joseph right here, this Joseph that we admire, this Joseph that we go back to our children right now in our little classes 
our little ones in the classes in the back, they are studying Joseph, this man that we go back to again and again, yet he died. It's a fact of life that everyone dies. We remember Hebrews 9 and 27, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. We don't see the Apostle Paul, do we? We don't see the great apostle of love, John, walking around on the earth today because everyone dies. It's a fact of life that everyone dies. Now, in the Bible, there are two exceptions to two men who did not die. So who are they? Who are they? One was what? Elijah was one. Do what? That's right. Enoch and Elijah. Enoch of Genesis 5, he walked with God and was not, for God took him. And then that great dramatic scene in 2 Kings 2, where Elijah was taken uh, to be with God. But only those two exceptions in the Bible, everybody else died. Even Lazarus, who was raised by Jesus, eventually he died again. Looking at this, we see him facing death, and it teaches us the great fact of death. And there's one other exception. There's one other exception, and what is that? That is that one day the Lord's going to come again, and those who are alive will not die. They will not experience the death that all, the common death that everyone experiences now. Those alive at the coming of the Lord will not experience that death. Okay. Just as a verse for that, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 15, Paul speaks of this. He said, according to the word of the Lord, those who are alive and remain shall not precede those who have already fallen asleep and who are dead. But when the trump of God comes, when the Lord descends from heaven, he says in verse 16 of 1 Thessalonians 4, then the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to be with the Lord uh, forever. But at some point, the Lord is going to come again, and there's going to be a generation of people alive on the earth at that time, and they will not experience death. They will experience the change of the body. They will experience everything that happens on Judgment Day, but they will not, their bodies will not go into the ground. Now, from my perspective, what about yours? From my perspective, I would say, just like Revelation 22, 20 says, even so come, Lord Jesus. What's your perspective on that? Do you want him to come? I had just seen him come. Today. Tonight. I just seen him come. It would be, I, that would be my choice for him to come on. Tonight. You may have a different view on that. But from what we can find out in the Bible, that's what we ought to desire. Okay. Someone may say, well, how can you say that? You've got, you're surrounded by, right now, you're surrounded by the very best people walking on the earth. Why, why would you desire that at all? Why would you, having a brand new grandbaby, guys, having a brand new grand, why would I desire for the Lord to come right now? Okay. Do you want us to stop and talk about the grandbaby for a minute? Okay. 
Some things come so naturally to little ones. Number one, smile. Boy, she's got a smile as big as Texas. A smile. Okay. Only when she's hungry does she not take that smile away, and that doesn't last very long. Okay. What a smile. What a smile. The second thing that comes naturally to her is taste test. Everything has to have a taste test. Okay. You hand her a, a, a Christmas box, a box wrapped, you know, first thing she's got to do, she's got to bring it to her mouth. She's got to give it a good bite. Yep, that, sounds, that tastes pretty good to me. Okay. Third thing that comes natural to her is her rhythm. She's got a natural rhythm. I'm telling you, who has taught that, that little girl to dance? Not me. Not me. But she can hear the least amount of music, and there she goes. She's twisting her hips. She's bending her knees. Who taught her that? Okay. Oh, they can't. I mean, how could you possibly desire the Lord to come again when you, well, even so, heaven is better. Even so, heaven is better. Now, you may think you've got joy, but your joy, I'm just telling you, is not going to surpass the joy that the Apostle Paul had. Okay. When you creep into the book of, of Philippians, chapter 2, and, and look at verse 17. Paul says, even if I have to be offered on the sacrifice of your faith. Let me translate that to you. Paul says, even if it comes to me dying because of spreading the faith to you guys. He says, I will rejoice and continue my joy for you. Even if it means my death, I'm going to rejoice. If, it, if my death means your faith, I'm going to rejoice. You and I do not have that kind of joy. And even Paul says there in the same book in Philippians 1, he said, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is what? Which is very far better. So even so come, Lord Jesus. Are, are you prepared for, for that? And when you settle that, do you know someone who is not prepared for the Lord's coming? And then what are you prepared to do about that? So we see here Joseph facing death. And we see that again, once again, we learn about the fact of death. Before we leave death here, notice how he speaks about his death. He speaks about his death. That's a characteristic of, a, of many people, many people in the Bible. Just speak about their death. Okay. He speaks about it here. Over in Joshua 23 and 14, Joshua told uh, his people, he said, I go the way of all the earth. That's a great way of pointing out death. I am going the way of all the earth. David used those very same words in 1 Kings 2, verse 2, to his son Solomon. I am going the way of all the earth. Death is a fact. The, all, the way of all the earth is to die. I'm going that way. I'm headed that way. Okay. Right here in Genesis 49, if you look at 29 and 30, Jacob speaks openly about his death. He commanded them and said, I am... To be gathered to my people. See that verse 30? Genesis 49, 29. Genesis 49, 29. 
I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. So he speaks openly about his death. We studied a couple of weeks ago how Jesus predicted his own death. All the great men of God speak openly about death. Notice that Joseph speaks matter-factly about it. He speaks openly about it. He speaks fearlessly about it. Especially notice he speaks spiritually about it. We notice this morning that in everything that Joseph did, it was all about God. It was all about his glory. Okay. By the way, I missed one of those this morning. Just a shame and disgrace is what it is. But where was it? Genesis uh, 41, verse 50, where Joseph has now been promoted to governor by Pharaoh. So he is able now to get married. And Joseph has a couple of children. Joseph, verse 51 of Genesis 41, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. Verse 52, Genesis 41, the name of his secondborn, second called Ephraim. And the name of that name, or the meaning of that name is, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. What we mentioned this morning was that Proverbs 3 says we are to trust the Lord with all of our heart, leaning not upon our own understanding. In all our ways acknowledge Him. And that's what Joseph did. He does it in life. He's doing it right here at the point of death too. God will surely visit you, my brothers. God will surely visit you. So he speaks about his death. It's interesting that that the great men of God speak spiritually about death. They don't focus on themselves. They focus on, on God. What are you prepared to say? What do you plan to say at your death? What are you going to say to your children? What are you going to say to your grandchildren? What are you going to say to your brothers and sisters when you die? Okay. Remember Paul speaking to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4? He says, the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I finished the course. Henceforth is laid up for me. He is charging Timothy. He is spiritually speaking to him. He's giving him the word. He's telling him God is still, God is still at work. God needs to have you at work uh, for him and with him. You know, God is not limited to a generation of people. God is not limited to one generation. God is unlimited. And just because one generation comes and goes doesn't mean God has stopped his work. And we must understand that. Joseph understood that. Now, as we think about death, how can we get to thinking more and more like the great men of old in regard to faith, in regard to death? In my view, your philosophy begins at death. Life begins at death. If we 
If we do not survive the death of the body, then we close up our doors right now. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not on this earth. Our hope lies beyond. Philosophy begins at death. What are you going to do? What is your aim at death? What do you believe in regard to death? What do you, that, that, that pushes you toward, toward whatever your faith is in Christ, whatever your faith is in God, whatever your faith is, is in the power of God. It, it pushes your heart. It, it reveals your heart. Whatever you, however you view death reveals what is in your heart. C.S. Lewis once said, he said, if we put first things first, then all the other things that should follow, follow. But, he said, if we put second and third things first, then we neither get the second or third or fourth things, and we also don't get the first things. First things must be first. The soul must be first before we can think any further. Our philosophy begins at death. Life begins at death. Let's move on to the second part. I've got much more to say about that, but we'll move on to the second part. Joseph leaves a legacy, a spiritual legacy. Notice what he says here concerning concerning his bones in Genesis chapter 50 in verse 25 Joseph made the sons of Israel to swear saying God will surely visit you in other words you're not going to stay here in Egypt and you will carry up my bones from here this is a great statement of faith how do we know that because Hebrews 11 you want to check your Bible here. Hebrews chapter 11 comments on this and says that this very statement of Joseph is a great statement of faith. Notice in your Bible, Hebrews 11 and verse about 22. Notice it says that by faith Joseph, Hebrews 11:22, at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites, and he gave directions concerning his bones. His bones. Let's think about that. Our influence never really ends. Even at death, our influence, whatever it is, good or bad, it will continue. Okay. Several verses teach this. Revelation 14, 13, Blessed are those who die in the Lord and one of the reasons that's blessed is because their works do follow them. Their works do follow. The thing that makes them be in the Lord, those, those uh, works of faith that cause them to be in the Lord, those works of faith that cause them to die in that blessed state, those works continue to follow them. Hebrews 11, 4, Abel worshiped the Lord by faith in great contradiction of what Cain did and he did that which was pleasing to God and he being dead yet speaks 
Hebrews 11.4. Our, our influence continues even after we die. It's important to think about leaving a spiritual legacy. Okay, and I would love to show you various examples, both good and bad in the Bible, of uh, legacies being, being left. Let me show you one on the negative side, and then we, we'll move on. But look in your Bible. Let's trace this out right quick. 1 Kings uh, chapter 16. 1 Kings uh, 16. If this is not right, then we'll just forget the whole thing. But I think this is correct. 1 Kings uh, 16. Looking down to 25. Omri. Omri did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, more evil than all who were before him, for he walked in the way of Jeroboam. So Jeroboam was before Omri. And so Jeroboam's influence has come down to Omri. All right, so he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in the sins that he made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger by their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Omri that he did and the might that he showed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? And Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. And Ahab, his son, reigned in his place. And of course, we all know about Ahab and Jezebel, how evil they were. Now, go from there to Micah. This is just one little place we're tracing. Go to Micah. Minor prophet Micah chapter 6, down in verse uh, 16. This is much later now. And Judah is being condemned through these prophets. And notice the reason here in Micah 6, verse 16. For you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab. And you have walked in their counsels that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing, so you shall bear the scorn of my people. Why is this coming to them? Because they were listening to the bad influence of generations past. You see, our influence continues to live. Now we're inspired by people in the past. We're inspired by the wisdom of Moses because he chose to um, remain with the people of God uh, than to, um, and to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy all the pleasures of, of Egypt. He made some very wise choices in those days. We're inspired by, by his influence we're inspired by Joshua because he was so decisive. Choose you this day whom you will serve. We're inspired by the courage of Daniel, the courage of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist looked right to Herod and said, it is not lawful for you to have her. Okay. He paid for it with his, with his life. We're inspired by the courage. We're inspired by, by the confessions of David. David messed up, but he was so quick to confess his sins and pray to God. We're we're inspired by the uh, generosity of Barnabas and, and Paul and others in the New Testament. You see, our influence continues and we, we have to ask ourselves what sort of spiritual legacy are we leaving behind us? Okay. 
We sometimes sing that song, leave behind, leave behind. What will you leave behind? After this life with all its strife, what are you going to be leaving behind? Now these bones. What is Joseph doing with these bones? Is he just trying to be morbid? Has he lost his way? Is, why is he talking about his bones? How many people have you ever known who are about to die say, I want you to do this with my bones? What is he doing here with his bones? Okay. Trace this out a little bit. If you look into your Bibles, Exodus chapter 13. And notice that indeed they did carry those bones. Here, here in uh, Exodus 13, you've got Moses. And Moses says here in verse 19 of Exodus uh, 13, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. They're, they're leaving Egypt. He took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And then notice quickly Joshua. And notice um, Joshua chapter uh, 24. At the very end of Joshua. Notice chapter 24 and verse uh, 32. As for the bones of Joseph, all the way over Joshua 24, 32 for as, the bone, as for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money, and it became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. What is he doing? What is he doing? And how does this relate to us? One thing I think that Joseph is doing, he doesn't want his people after him to become too settled in the place where they're at. Okay. They're in Egypt. He said, this is not where God wants you. Okay. Do not get settled here. Okay. This is not your home. And he has them, he commands these instructions about his bones, I believe, for them to always have that in their minds. Obviously it worked. They did not forget about his bones. A tangible reminder that this is not where we belong. This is not what God has in mind. God has a bigger picture in mind. God's going to carry us into another land, and that land is really pointing to a, a bigger day when the Messiah, the Christ, is going to come from our very family. Okay. So don't get settled here. And I believe that helps us in the legacy that we are supposed to leave. Somehow or another, what are you planning to do? Somehow or another, what we leave behind needs to remind our children, grandchildren, friends, and loved ones, and brothers that this is not your home. We need to leave them reminders somehow or another. What will it be? Reminders that the most important thing is heaven. The most important, God, God's ultimate destiny for you is not here, not on this earth. This world is not our home. What are you planning to leave behind 
in order to remind those about you that this world is not our home. Don't get settled here. Just a temporary layover is what it is. Or do you plan to leave? I've been blessed personally from things of the past that have helped me to keep my mind on where it ought to be. I've got my father-in-law's Bible that he used to preach in India. And I use it oftentimes uh, when I'm here. He has passages marked there. He has notes everywhere in that Bible that reminds me of what's most important in life. It recalls the memories that, and, and the tools and the strategies that he would use as he tried to teach brethren across the world. I have Leo McKinley's Bible. I have Leo's Bible. It is put together with duct tape from cover to cover. But it's the Bible that he used most often when he lived in Ohio and he was a soul winner. He got out and shook the bushes and helped to teach people uh, the gospel. What do, you, what do you have? What are you planning on, on leaving? Well, Larry and Kay have talked about putting together a family book, a, a, a book that, that is to be read and left behind uh, with their children and grandchildren, reminding them of what's most important in life. What do we have here in Genesis 50? We have Joseph. We have a man standing the test of time. He's facing the hand of death, and he's leaving a spiritual legacy. He challenges each of us to be more godly and to think about our own influence. And let's be doing that this evening. We'll take this time now as we're about to stand and sing. Let's take this time. Let's reflect on a few of these verses, a few of these thoughts. Perhaps you can find something profitable in what we have discussed today. Let's think about some of these thoughts and verses. Let's think about the words of the song. And if you need any spiritual help this evening, if you have some spiritual uh, burdens, if you're ready to put Jesus on in baptism, if you're ready to submit to his will, then the invitation is open to you right now as we stand together and as we sing.